Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> My wife left her microphone. <laughs> I didn't leave it on. I, I turned just... it on at the appropriate time. Did everyone hear me say that this fiddle leaf fig is fake? I'm really, I'm, I should just go sit down right now. <laughs> So my daughter Katie said, Mom, is that your fiddly fig? And I said, no, that's not mine. That one's fake. But I didn't realize that my microphone. I didn't realize so these y'all? guys had had, us t- had me turned up already. So this is going to be a great 11 o'clock service. I can tell right now. Everybody's ready. They may cut us off maybe at some point. Off. Who knows? Good morning. Well, We're going to be talking nice. about the... Uh, the empty nest syndrome this morning, and uh, I say we uh, because I've invited my beautiful wife. She is the brains of our family. For those of you that know us, you know absolutely that's the truth. And she's been raising children uh, that would be my two daughters and myself now for a number of years. <laughs> so she is an authority. Would you just give her a huge welcome just for being here? Some I'm of happy you... to be here. Can I say that? Yes, you can. I'm very happy to be here, happy to be sharing the stage with my amazing husband. He gets to say things like that all the time about me, but I think he's pretty amazing too. So mm. I'm happy to be up here sharing, sharing the stage with you today, darling. Okay, uh, you can go now. I love you. I love you. Okay, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So some of you might be uh, thinking, the empty nest, what? So let me give you a definition so you'll kind of know what we're talking about. According to newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org, so you know this has got to be legit, right? Actually, empty nest syndrome is not a clinical diagnosis. It's not a clinical diagnosis. Instead, it's a phenomenon in which parents experience feelings of sadness and lost when that last child leaves the home. And quite literally, all the research, and I did a ton of research on this subject, and everything I read suggests that parents dealing with emptiness syndrome may experience a profound sense of loss. And if you've been there, I think you probably understand that. Absolutely, we, we experience that um, with the loss of them moving out of our house. Um, absolutely. You may even be vulnerable to depression. Mm-hmm. It's a real pick-me-up. Identity crisis and marital conflicts. Conflicts. It didn't say conflict. It said conflicts. I picked up on that personally, and I thought, man, that is just, that's absolutely nasty. So I don't know where you may be in the child-rearing process, but uh, nothing sounds really good about the prospects of one day when those, those sweet babies are out of the nest, facing marital conflicts, a profound sense of loss, an identity crisis, 
and depression. So it looks like the best plan is just to pray that they never get married, never get a job, or uh, never long to be independent and self-sufficient. And obviously that is not the hope of, of any parent, right? So today our hope is to prepare you for the empty nest. And really, really, you have no idea. Um, not because we're perfect people. We are not. And we'll be the first to tell you. We are not perfect people. But we hope that you'll walk away today with uh, understanding how to prepare for that. Really, we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to do a lot of that this morning. And uh, to prepare you to have a beautiful marriage before and after those uh, sweet babies are gone. So, honey, can you tell everybody how and when our girls left the old nest and when the last one flew the coop, how you felt? So... Um, when Emily decided in 2012, and I have to say that when we started talking about this several months ago, I thought, wow, what year was it that Emily moved out? And then we actually had to call and say, Emily, what year was it that you decided to move out? Because, you know. Because we're old. Yeah, so we had to talk through all that. And I thought, wow, 2012, it's been 10 years since our first daughter moved out. Well, when she came to us and said, you know, Mom, I dad I'm, I think I'm gonna I'm ready to move out I was shocked I was really shocked that's the simple answer of how I felt you can imagine that three months later only three short months later when Katie decided to follow Emily and made the decision to move out as well I was I was super shocked because for the life of me for the life of me I could not understand why either of them would want to move out I mean honestly I felt like they had it made in our yeah, house. Yeah, they did. I mean, most parents feel like their kids have it made at their house, right? So I, I just feel like, why would they want to move out? They had, I mean, our house is so that they had the whole upstairs to themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to share a room. I mean, I had to share a room when I still lived at home with my sister. They didn't have to share a room. They really didn't even have to share a bathroom, hardly. So I guess... My expectation was that why would they want to move out and incur all of the expenses, you know, like paying rent? We didn't make them pay rent. I couldn't understand that. We didn't make them pay Some anything. of you want to move in with us right now, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, you're thinking literally. So I guess my expectation was is that they would do, they would do the same thing that I did at that age. Um, I went to college and uh, immediately after high school and stayed all four years on campus. And then two years later, at, I mean, once I finished college, I moved back home with my parents. Um, lived there for two years. And then after that, I moved in with this guy. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> after we got married. Let me make that clear. So ah. after we got married. So I couldn't, I couldn't understand why Emily and Katie would want to move out and incur all the expenses that comes from, you know, living out on your own. It just didn't make any, it didn't make any sense to me. So I was shocked. I was truly shocked. And I asked a lot of the why questions, the why questions, like why this and why that, and do you know this? And because of that, this is why a lot of those questions. And they hate it when I ask those questions, and that they hated it then, and they still do. Yes, we do. Yes. So we think that if only our children knew the truth about, you know, the big picture, um, the consequences of the decisions that you make, the positives, the negatives, 
we think that they'll always make the right choice, right? Uh, it would be nice if, if they stayed in the confines of our home all the time and in a, in, a, in a cute little Petri dish while they're growing and learning things. But kids need room to grow, and they're going to make mistakes. So I ultimately, ultimately, kicking and screaming, had to accept their decision, even if I didn't think at the time that it was the best thing for them. So we, uh, we actually called them, got them on the phone. So we wanted to hear why they, why they left. Um, which was good for us, and uh, so here are their answers. So let me say this, and Emily and I were just talking about this a little bit in the lobby before this service. Uh, I, I always think, well, they couldn't be leaving for anything other than somebody's talked them into it. I mean, they got a friend, or, or somebody else has done it, and they've told them about how great it is. It can't be because of us. I mean, we're awesome. It just couldn't. It couldn't be. But that was not Emily's answer, so let me read you what she said. I moved out because I was ready for independence. I had come back from the Dominican Republic after being there for the summer, and I was older. I was just ready to do things on my own. I knew I was going to make mistakes and fail, and I needed to go ahead and start learning those lessons for myself because I didn't experience going to college and that middle ground of living in the dorm. Katie, this was her answer. I moved out because I was ready to be independent and make my own choices. I wanted to experience life as an adult on my own without my parents. This is the big thing. Without my parents dictating my decisions. <laughs> I made mistakes and I crashed and burned a few times. But that was my journey to take. And I knew that there was nothing that I could ever do to lose the unconditional love of my parents. And ultimately, that is what has brought me back to where I am today. So, um, We taught them to be independent. Uh, we thought that was what our job was, was to teach them to be independent. <laughs> and we learned to love them through it. Oh, my goodness. Whew. Straighten up. Okay, so our kids are out of the nest. And uh, how can we let them go now and feel good about it? One website that I found said it like this. They said, I can let them go if, number one, spend adequate time together. Number two, build admirable qualities of character. Number three, demanded their best. Number four, learned that I can trust them. But honestly, isn't, isn't that where the fears and the doubts come from? Trying to figure out, to be certain that you did, in fact, spend adequate time with your kids in, in that part of the struggle to figure that out and then this, how much time is adequate time and who determines if it's adequate time and what about building admirable qualities of character if children don't display those qualities of character is it always the parents fault is it always the parents fault I would say 
that it's not always the parent's fault. But I would also say that sometimes it is. And we'll talk about that this morning as we kind of navigate what that, uh, what that really looks like. And this whole di- idea of demanding their best, really, <clears throat> in today's culture, wouldn't demanding <clears throat> be considered emotionally and psychologically abusive? So, I just think that these four suggestions or whatever they are really can bring uh, more doubt and more stress than relief. So, how do you know, baby? How do you know if you've done enough? So when Scott first asked me this question, how do you know if you can let them go, uh, immediately my answer is you don't know. And you don't. So you really then don't. I always follow up with the question. So then he always follows up with the question, um, have we done our best? I get, he asked me this question about once a week because I get stuff in my head. I get to thinking about things. Wow, if only this or if only that. Or how can we know this? And he says, he just says, honey, have we done our best? Have we done all that we can do? And when he asked me that, I always come to the same conclusion. I don't know if I did enough. I don't know if I did enough to help uh, Emily navigate this. I don't know if I did enough to help Katie uh, uh, work through this situation or this problem. I don't know if I did enough. I, I just question everything. But when he says that, he looks at me kind of like he's looking at me now. And I say, you know, I guess, I guess we did do the best we could at the time. I felt like we did. And let me make sure you understand this. Uh, doing our best did not mean that we didn't make mistakes. Of course we made mistakes. <clears throat> if you're a parent, you're going to make mistakes too. We're, we're all fallible people. And in fact, I would even go so far as to say that messing up, <clears throat> I would say that making mistakes actually can be good for both the parents and the children. It certainly opened up great conversations between us. James chapter 5, um, verse 16, James says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So I'm just saying that through confessing our mistakes to our girls, our hope, our desire, and we made so many mistakes <clears throat> that there were times that I'd have to go back and say, well, I blew it on that. I'm sorry. And I hope at least what we could teach them was humility. And that through our willingness to be open and honest about our mistakes, that we were able to teach them that making mistakes is a part of life. You cannot avoid it. And having honest communication and being willing to ask for forgiveness, is that's what's all about moving the relationship forward. So there's a, a quote that's meant a lot to me over the last few years, actually, um, as I've been the parent of adult children who live outside the home. I used this quote the last time that I was up here on stage when I spoke about uh, being a mom on Mother's Day. And uh, it still means a lot to me today, so I'm going to read it to you again. It says this, Ships in harbor are safe. But that's not what ships are built for. When we become new parents, the last thing we're thinking about is how we're going to handle it when they decide to move out of the home. 
First, we're thinking about dropping them off, how we're going to handle it when we drop them off for daycare at the first time, say at six weeks or 12 <coughs> weeks or eight <coughs> weeks when moms go back to work, if that's the case. The next thing we think about, wow, taking them to K-5 for the first time mm. and watching them walk in with a backpack is bigger than they are. How in the world are they holding all that stuff in it? <coughs> and their cute little lunch pail, cute little lunch box. We're thinking about those things. Wow, middle school. Who wants to think about that? I was just talking <laughs> to a mom out in the lobby earlier about she's got two boys in middle school right now. Yeah, who wants to? You don't think about that. You're certainly not thinking about giving them the keys to your second-hand car for them to get in and drive to high school one Woo. day. You're not thinking about that. So this is a phrase that's so true <coughs> as parents. The days are long but the years are so short. It's so true for a parent, that quote. It's in these times that I always try to remember that our children were never meant, God never intended them to stay safe in a harbor. They were created to become Christ followers who are given a path by God, not us, to follow. And that path usually doesn't include staying safe in a harbor. So our hope, our goal, was to always give them a safe place to fail. We believed then, and we still believe today, that you can't grow without failure and pain. It's just a part of life. <coughs> we wanted them to know always to never forget and be convinced that no matter what, we'll always love you, and no matter what, we will always be there to help you navigate and to pick up the pieces, even if you make bad choices and mistakes. And that wasn't to uh, have them come home and say, I told you so. It was simply to say the past is the past. What did you learn from it? And where do we go from here? It's a, it's a biblical principle. Learning how to be a great dad or a great mom is uh, so much for us has been rooted and based in, in Scripture. Um, Paul said it like this in Philippians 3. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We just tried really, really hard mm -hmm. to say, you're going to fail. You know, we fail miserably. You're human. It's a part of life. And we always ask this question. We still ask this question, even today when they come to us. What did you learn? I mean, what is the point of making a mistake if you can't learn from it, right? So what, what did you learn from it? And then for us as parents is to say, okay, now how do we help you pick up the pieces and move forward? So you have to give your children room to grow. The parent who plays the part of a backstage director correcting every little thing in, in their child's journey will remain in a state of disappointment and worry. Mm. 
Now, you ask me how I know that? Because that's me to a T. When you're trying to map everything and make all the decisions for them and, and tell them what to do and every little thing because you don't want them to fa ever fail, it just brings disappointment and worry. And I'm the, I might be the planner in our family, but I'm also the worrier in our family as well. Yeah, I don't worry. I don't yeah, he doesn't worry much. But this child, this child, when you're always fixing things for them, they'll never grow into a confident and wise adult. Since the child has not had the opportunity to learn from his mistakes or her mistakes, they stay dependent on the parent mm -hmm. or they latch on to someone else for security. And sometimes that's a spouse. But the parent who takes a seat kind of midway in the auditorium gives their child room to work things out for themselves. Yet they're still close enough to give direction when their child is about ready to maybe step off the stage and hurt themselves or when they can't find their lines and they need a prompt. This child learns to navigate the stage of his life, making mistakes, but also growing from them. And he also learns that there's no shame in doing so. And um, we did other things as well. Um, we did very, very intentionally uh, spend time together. She's the planner. And so that was always planned well in advance. And, and I think that there's something beautiful and sweet about that. I think that it's one thing to wake up on a Saturday morning with nothing to do and then say, hey, why don't we do something versus being able to look maybe at your child or your spouse on a Monday and say, hey, what about we do this on Saturday? And so she always planned those things that we did well in advance. And uh, we, had, we had play days. And as we were working through this and figuring some things out, I mean, I, I just, the, the most special play days that we had, believe it or not, were those days in those years when we didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, we were absolutely broke. And so <clears throat> we couldn't afford to do expensive things. Those were a lot of years. Those were a lot of years. <laughs> and so we had to learn to be creative. And so some some days for us, that was, you know, packing up an ice chest. And, and that was the old styrofoam ice chest. Anybody know? I mean, Yeti would have just, we go, what? Our cars don't cost that much. And so that would have been way out of our league. And so we'd pack up a lunch and uh, just sandwiches and some chips. And and then we'd put their, take their bicycles and we'd take a Frisbee and a glove and a, and a ball, and we go to Furman. Furman was free, and we would, you know, put out a, a blanket on the ground, and which was just an old rag, really, and and we just we just spent the day together. And I love those days. We didn't have money, but we had each other. And that was enough. In later years, we, uh, we had some incredible vacations together. And everything we did, I want you to understand, it was, it was with a purpose. We thought it through. We thought about what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. It all, it, all had, it all had a purpose. 
and we use difficult days, and we use good days uh, as teachable moments to instill truth. And, and I have to say this, we, I'm proud to say it, but we weren't great at family devotions. We really weren't. You think, man, pastor and his kids, like, whoa, you know, it'd be like church every, you know, every night. It, it wasn't. Um, we weren't good at that. But what we did try to do, which was almost every day, it seems, if it was something that they dealt with at school, a, a breakup, if it was a, a friend and a relationship, then we used everything, even the struggles we had here at church, we would sit down and then we would take Scripture and we would apply that to where we were living at the time. Does that make sense? So that the Bible is more than just something that's read in a storybook to a child each night before they go to bed, but that it becomes alive with the circumstances that you have to deal with every single day. I think that one point that has to be made is that just because you leave, just because they leave, um, it doesn't mean that you stop being a parent. You, you don't. It is a change. It's a huge change. And there is grief. And, and you do miss them. You do. But the key is making it a smooth transition. And part of making it a smooth transition is to recognize, it's recognizing that parenting an adolescent, it's different than parenting an adult. It's moving from the front line to the sideline. When they're in the nest, we took this very, very seriously. Our frontline job was to, to prepare them to leave the nest. That was our job. That was our responsibility. Psalm 127, verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. I'm just trying to say that we are still very much involved in their lives, but now it's on the sidelines. And it's only when they invite us back to the front line and literally invite us back by asking for our help that, uh, that we speak up. And we take that very serious. One of the things that we don't want to do is to stick our nose in every decision that they make and everything that they do, but to give them room still to give them room. To fail. And when they ask, our heart, our intention is always to help them. By asking questions, not to just tell them what to do, but to ask those questions. What have you learned? How do you move forward? And then for us to say, okay, how do we, how do we find, help you find the answers and how do we help you pick up the pieces? I hope that, uh, I hope that makes sense. Well, wow, so we've talked a lot about being a parent. Yep, a lot. And we love, I love being a dad. I know she loves being a mom. But we better talk about marriage after they're gone. So how would you say that the empty nest, how would you describe it? I would say it's great. <laughs> it really is great. Um, so some things that make it great, let's talk about that. So um, the house stays a lot cleaner now that the, we're empty nesters. It stays a lot cleaner. The items that you bought on Monday to prepare a meal on Thursday are still in the pantry or the refrigerator. They didn't mysteriously get eaten. Um, how about this? 
your silverware, your bowls, your cups. They're in the they're in the cabinets where they they're not mysteriously missing. Under the bed. Under the bed. In, in the closet. Closets, in their cars. <clears throat> in their drawers. Yeah, everywhere. The amount of silverware and dinnerware that we found in our girls' rooms. I'm going to go a little easy here. I'm going to say in more so in Katie's room than Emily's room. <laughs> yes, of all that stuff. I mean, we just had so much after we found all that. Of course, most of it I threw away. I didn't use it because it was not good. But the, my favorite, my favorite one is this one. Because they clean out all their closets and stay, take that stuff with them. You have all this extra closet space. She has more closet yeah, space. Yeah, for, you know, like winter clothes and then summer clothes and all that stuff. So it's great. But I will say this. Both of our girls moving out of the house within three months of each other, wow, that was a huge, huge change for me. It was really big. It was huge. But I think, I think we did okay with the transition. Um, we just continued to do, marriage-wise, we really just continued to mm -hmm. do everything we had always done. We just did it with each other. And I think our marriage is even stronger now than it was then simply because our focus has been more on each other than it has our kids all the time. So we get to spend a lot more time together. So that's awesome because we kind of like each other. We so. do. We do. He's my favorite person. She's my best friend. <laughs> all right. Let's get okay. to <laughs> Sorry, that's ad libbing. So I, I really, I think I really need to say this, and, and it, I, it's gonna, it may come across a little harsh. I don't mean for it to, but I do think it's reality, and that is simply this: if you weren't happily married before, you won't be happily married after. You, you just won't. It's, it's not like they're going to be gone, and now the time that you have that you're going to do it differently. You, you, you just won't. In fact, one website that uh, that I found said it like this: It's September. The children are off to college, and many parents are packing their bags, too. Although some may be moving off or going off on vacation, many couples will be headed for divorce court. And it is absolutely true. According to the law offices of Peter Van Allen, the divorce rate for couples over the age of 50, including empty nesters, has doubled over the course of the past generation. The divorce rate for people over 64 years of age has tripled during that same time period. And so that is really, really depressing, especially if you are like nearing those years or maybe you're already in those years. So how do you make a smooth transition into those empty nest years? Uh, I found a website and it gave four ways to overcome emptiness syndrome and save your marriage. And here they are. Uh, number one, try to reconnect together as a couple. And that's a simple thing. Find hobbies, uh, date nights, dinners, movies, just anything. Just find some of those common things that you can do together as a couple. Here's a verse of Scripture that I've used many, many years as I have um, maybe counseled with couples that were struggling in their marriage, period. And I would use this verse of Scripture because it's really about relationships. It's Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Consider how far you have fallen. And notice what it says, repent and do the things that you did at first. And so here's what I've told couples. I said, what, what did you do that caused you to fall in love, to get, uh, in love with each other to start with? 
then remember those things. Repent and, and tell each other you're sorry. You, you should have been investing more in the marriage and you've invested in your children at the expense of maybe your marriage. Go back and do those things that you did at first. Number two, ease the worry and tension by understanding how both parties feel. Honestly, that for us, that was Karen as she struggled and she worried. And, um, you know, there would be days when she would be in with some despair, I suppose. Uh, I'm not sure depression would be the right word, but maybe there was a little bit of that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was there, of course, to ask her the right questions, right? Um, sometimes. Uh, sometimes it really was just to be there to kind of love her to the best of my ability and support her. Number three, create a plan for reconnecting with your spouse and stick to it. Again, that's, you know, weekly date nights, but we did that before. That's, you know, daily phone calls. We probably aren't big phone call people, but we do text each other during the day. That's, you know, brunch on the weekends. I don't even know what brunch is. Uh, I'm just old redneck, so that's like like breakfast for me, you know. But find those times when you can get together. Make a plan and stick to the plan. And then four, try not to worry so much about your children. Well, that's... That one's hard. That's easy, right? No, it's hard. No, it's not easy. But here's the point I want to make. Focus on your marriage. Mm -hmm. It's important. After the children are out of the nest, all you're going to have is each other. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. So being separated emotionally as a couple in the empty nest years is like living your whole life without saving for retirement, without saving anything for retirement. Then you get to your empty nest years and you go, you can't raise your children at the expense of your marriage. You'll still hopefully have your spouse long, long after the kids move out, after they're gone. So remember this. Marriage is not a short story. It's a novel. It's not supposed to end when the kids transition out of the home. It's supposed to get better. It's supposed to last a long, long time. And it has. It has definitely. Mm-hmm. Whew. Got better for us. Karen and I, I don't know, weeks, months ago, <clears throat> found a song that was uh, we thought just so, so special for us. And it, it really describes the beauty of our lives when our, our kids were home with us and the beauty of our lives now that uh, we're empty nesters. And it is our hope for you as well. Girl, you stole my heart and changed it. Took all of my plans, rearranged them. Now I finally know what amazing grace is when I look into your eyes. Baby, I see my whole life. You say we put us down some roots Found a house upon a hill Travel around the world Put some pictures on the ship 
Hold you close and keep the faith Erase the kids with our last name Come on, baby, what you say we do I feel like growing old with you Growing old with you Every day I love you better than the day before. Watch them sunsets fade on the front porch. Build this home together, weather any storm as the years keep rolling on. You'll be right where I. Find a house upon a hill And travel around the world With some pictures on the shelf Hold you close and keep the faith Erase the kids with our last name Come on baby, what you say we do I feel like growing old with you Find a house upon a hill Travel around the world With some pictures on the shelf Maybe one day our babies grow And a house of babies of their own You'll get on my time and my time is through I feel like growing old Give uh, Miss McAllister a Honestly, there are parts of our story uh, that read like a fairy tale. And the truth be told, there are other parts of our story that read more like a horror story. We actually went together in the eighth grade, believe it or not. We broke up. Then we started dating again our senior year in high school. And we broke up. And then we finally got married after several more breakups. But that's a long story. And we got married when we were 23. So that we were middle school sweethearts. I mean, that sounds like it was the fairy tale part, right? But all of those, those breakups and, believe it or not, our first year of marriage, those were the horror parts of our story. So what made the difference? What has turned the past almost 40 years into such a beautiful, beautiful love story? Well, in a word, it's Jesus. And that's what you would expect me to say, right? We're at church on a Sunday morning, but it's more than that. It's not about religion. It's not just about showing up at church. 
It's about learning how to die to ourselves. It's about learning how to put the other person first. It's learning how to serve each other well. It's learning how to love each other well. And folks, as honest as I know how to be, we've learned all of that. So much more from the greatest teacher ever. We, We learned it all from Jesus. And we learned it from his word, absolutely. But it was more than that. It was the grace and the love that he has bestowed upon us and been so incredibly good to us. We are far, 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 far from perfect. But with Jesus as our model and and as our example, we do try to the very best of our ability to live for him. Not to be religious, but really to have a relationship with Jesus that transforms a life. The closer that you get to him, you just can't help but be changed. The closer I get to Jesus, the better husband I am, quite honestly. The closer that I get to Jesus, the better father I am to my girls. It just happens out of the overflow of that relationship with him. Maybe you're a young married couple and you've realized this morning that maybe your time with your children has not been well spent. Maybe you're not even trying to build admirable character in your children. Maybe you don't even understand what that means. Maybe it's just because you have misplaced priorities. It's so easy when you're young to get so caught up in other things that really at the end of the day just don't matter. About succeeding in life, climbing the corporate ladder, whatever those things are, I can promise you this, that as you get older, those things mean nothing. It's the people that you have in your life that you get to do life with. I've said it many times. You've heard us say it today. We've been so broke at times that we couldn't pay our bills. But we had each other. And we had the Lord. And at the end of the day, it's the only thing that mattered. Maybe you've been married for a while now and you've realized this morning that you're raising your children at the expense of your marriage. Stop it. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that what your children need is to see you have a strong marriage. That's what they need. They need to know how to be a husband. They need to know how to be a wife. They need to know how to be humble and admit that you're wrong to confess your faults to each other. They need to see two people that struggle because they're fallible people and then see the beauty of what Jesus can do through it all. They need that. But they're never going to have an example of how to do it when they're on their own. Maybe you're a couple in the empty nest years and maybe, maybe you're struggling. You're struggling in your relationship. I can promise you this, with a great plan and the help of the Holy Spirit, You can fall deeply in love all over again, and you can have a great marriage. But it's going to take two things. It's going to take humility. Humility. That you're going to have to be willing to say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm struggling. Let's figure this thing out. Let's get deep in the Word. Let's figure out this Jesus thing. Let's do it together. It's going to take effort on your part. But if you're willing, there's absolutely nothing that God can't do if you'll let him. 
I read this verse of scripture this morning. It was interesting to me. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you ask or think. Ah. So if you're here this morning, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you're here this morning, maybe you're a young married couple. Maybe you've been married for a while, or maybe you're in those empty nest years, and maybe you would just say, Scott, I, we just need some prayer. Would you just slip up your hand right now in the quietness of this moment? Would you just slip up your hand? I'd love to pray for you right now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for just being honest. Lord Jesus, you see, Lord, those that uh, are just willing to admit that they're struggling. I don't know all that they're struggling with, but I know you, and I know you do. And Lord, it may sound really, really corny, but you know that I believe with all my heart that you're the answer to everything. Lord, you've taught Karen and I so much. Not just principles, not just something that we read in a book, even your book, but Lord, how you have shown us and proven to us your love and your ability to work miracles, to give hope to the hopeless. So Father, I pray for these folks, Lord, that this slipped up their hand to say they're struggling. God, meet them where they are, as only you can. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus. Then our hope this morning is that what you've heard is the beauty of what God can do with two fallible people. God can take the brokenness of your life and he can turn it into something truly beautiful if you are just willing to fully surrender your life to him to admit that you can't, that your way is not working, and that you're willing from this day forward to just let God be God. Let him be master and Lord of your life. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, then just pray the, a simple prayer with me right now, right there in your seats, just quietly and silently. Maybe you'd say something like this. Maybe you'd say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I am a broken, broken mess. I'm a mess. My relationships are a mess. I can't fix me. I can't fix anybody else. I just confess that I need you. I'm a sinner. So I ask for your forgiveness of all my sin. And to the best of my ability, I want to place all my faith and all my trust in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, you're totally awesome. Father, oh man, it's been a great day for me, Lord. There's nothing in this world, Lord, that I'd rather do than to be on a stage with my wife. She's so awesome. Lord, she's so smart. She's so well-spoken, so wise. And you bless me with her. Please, Lord, don't ever let me take her for granted. That every day I can be thankful for the gift. Thank you for the beautiful life that we have together, Lord. Thank you for two beautiful, beautiful children 
that, Lord, honestly, we don't take credit for. We think that they're awesome. They're wise beyond their years. They're caring. They're compassionate, Lord. They care about the broken people in this world, Lord, and long to love those that are unlovable. Lord, I believe they learned all that from you. So, Lord, as you have blessed us, I do pray, God, for families in this place this morning. Lord, I just pray that same beautiful, wonderful blessing on them that has been ours to experience. We love you. And we thank you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.